Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to dive in, and so I, I, I wanted him to share that because we are in our series called Life on Mission. So I wanted us to hear an example of what it looks like when someone lives on mission. Because I guarantee you that the, 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 his supervisor, his name's Dan, at that moment he probably did not see the next 40 years of what would happen. And yet God has been faithful so many times. And so what God is calling us to is to consistently and faithfully proclaim the gospel. So um, maybe you have heard the quote. There's a quote. I'm going to give you a quote. Maybe you've heard it. It's this. Preach the gospel at all times. Does anybody know the rest of it? Use words if necessary. Now, this sounds like a nice quote, and I understand the sentiment of this quote in that we should, as Christians, we should live our lives in such a way that people see Jesus in us. I'm good with that, right? But this quote is a little bit misleading and possibly even harmful. Here's why, right? We should use words, right? We should live out the gospel in the way that we live and act, but we should also speak and proclaim the gospel, both our words and our actions. And our temptation is to stay quiet. Our temptation is to not use words, to say, oh, I'm just going to I share the gospel by smiling at people. Well, that's not really proclaiming the gospel, right? Um, now, both are important. We should smile, but we can also speak the gospel. But that's our temptation to stay quiet, to not proclaim, to not like impose ourselves on someone else. But the gospel is good news to be proclaimed. And so as we continue in our Life on Mission series this morning, I want this to be practical for us. Our main idea is this, <clears throat> to live a life on mission, we will engage those around us with the gospel message. So we're continuing this series called Life on Mission. This series is all about how you and I, as the church, can live on mission by sharing the gospel with people around us. Now, think about that for just a minute. When we share the gospel with someone, we are communicating that Jesus is the only way to God, which means we are telling someone that what they currently believe is potentially wrong. Now, this is not a very popular idea to tell someone, I have the truth and you don't. Now, that could be handled very, very arrogantly and very wrongly. Well, what I want us to see today, though, is that if we believe that the gospel is good news, and we do, that we want to share it. Now, is that okay? Is it okay for us to put our beliefs on someone else? As Christians, we believe that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to salvation, the only way to find forgiveness. And if we believe this to be true, then the most loving thing that we could possibly do is to share it with others. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand with this whole Jesus and church thing. You don't really know. You're just, you're here. You're, you're checking this out. I want you to hear this morning that we believe that the gospel, which means the message of Jesus, is good news. And as Christians, we can't help but to share with others what Jesus has done in our lives. And we don't live as Christians. We don't and we should not live with an ulterior motive. 
saying like, okay, well, I'm going to be nice to this person so that I can share Jesus with them. Okay, well, that sounds okay, but no. But rather, we live with an ultimate motive. Because we believe the gospel is true, we have the ultimate motive of introducing people to Jesus. When we talk about sharing the gospel, it's not and should not be manipulation. It should not be bait and switch. Has anyone ever been given what looked to be a $100 bill, but then when you opened it up, it was a tract about Jesus? Okay, that's a little bit bait and switch. Here, you want a $100 bill? Oh, wait, sorry, it's not that, right? That is, that's not what we're talking about here, right? Sharing the gospel is not based on some formula or method. If you're a Christian, it's not a way to earn God's love, but rather sharing Jesus with other people is and should be the natural outflow of the work of Jesus in us. As we experience more and more of Jesus and his grace and his love in our hearts, we can't help but to share it with others. There's a pastor named Vance Pittman, and this quote will be on the screen. He says this, the invitation to follow Jesus isn't an invitation to live for Jesus. It's an invitation to abide in Jesus and let him out of the overflow of that relationship, live his life in and through us in a way that produces fruit for his kingdom. That's what this series is about. Not like, okay, here's 10 tips and tricks to convince your friends to follow Jesus. That's, That's not what it's about. It's about saying, how can we fall more in love with Jesus so that it just overflows out of us in all that we do? My prayer, church, is that we will truly live on mission, that we won't think that, hey, we're doing pretty good, we've arrived, we have like a nice little church, and we won't settle for that, but that we will boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus to the people around us. Because if we believe it's true, and we do, then how can we help but to share the good news, the life-giving message of Jesus? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. You can navigate yourself there. And let me give you some context with what's happening here. It's about the Apostle Paul. So Paul is traveling with two other guys named Silas and Timothy. This is kind of getting us into where we're going to start. And they're facing difficulty and persecution. Because of that, Paul heads to the city of Athens by himself and waits for Silas and Timothy to arrive. Athens, at this time, Athens was already an ancient city, right? It was the kind of place that people, even in Paul's day, would go and visit to see the history and to see all these things and, you know, um, same same as it would be for us. It was a center of philosophy and culture and arts. So think like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Those guys lived lived in Athens hundreds of years before this point that we get to in the book of Acts, This was an ancient, ancient place in Athens. These people were smart, refined, progressive. And this account from Acts chapter 17 shows us how the Apostle Paul proclaimed Jesus in the city of Athens. All right, we're going to read chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 16 and read through verse 34. Let's read this together. This will be on the screen as well. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, 
What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and, their foreigner, and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And this is the end of Paul's little sermon there, and then it wraps up in verse 32. He says, now... When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius and and the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. We're going to pray. There was a lot there, and then we're going to dive into it. All right, let's pray again together. God, we thank you for our time together this morning. We ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts. God, let us see the beauty of Jesus again today and that it would sink into our hearts and overflow out of our lives. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to live a life on mission, we will engage those around us with the gospel message. This passage that we just read shows us what I think are three components of how we can engage people with the gospel. The three components are vision, compassion, and action. So let's break it down as we go through. Vision. Paul, if you start in verse 16 there, Paul is waiting in Athens. Essentially, he's got some downtime. Like, he doesn't have much to do. He's waiting on the other guys. He's walking around. He's enjoying this ancient city of Athens. He could have said, hey, life's been pretty rough. There's persecution. I'm going to take it easy at this Athenian Airbnb and just enjoy what's going on. And yet, Paul, as he's walking around, we see in verse 16, it says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. He's walking around and he starts to see and notice, man, this place is crazy. These people are worshiping all kinds of things. And as he walks, he's walking around, he takes in what he sees. He sees that the city is full of idols. There's all kinds of gods and statues and ideas and things that are being worshiped. What I want us to see, the the main point of this point is that Paul sees. 
He has vision, not a vision, like he didn't have like a vision of something, but he notices and sees what's happening around him. What do you see when you walk around Montreal? We see idols in many different ways. Maybe not like statues of gods, but we see idols. What do you see when you walk around your neighborhood? What do we see in our own lives? We can notice and see that we sometimes are worshiping things that are something other than God. And now, we might not see actual statues, but when we look under the surface, what do we see? We see worship of self. We see the worship of pleasure and entertainment. We see the worship of money, the worship of material things. Then you can go to the opposite side and see the worship of simplicity. Like, hey, my life is so simple and it's amazing and now I feel content because I have a simple life, right? You see the worship of actual false gods. There are all kinds of things around us that become idols. And so for Paul, he didn't just kind of see what was around him. He saw under the surface. He saw the lostness that was all around him in this city of Athens. He had vision. Can we, church, can we see under the surface of the idols? What does that look like? It looks like the loneliness that leads people to do anything to fit in. It looks like people living these crazy lives in the life of binging and all of these things that comes from wanting to forget deep pain. We can see people, and maybe even in ourselves, constant buying and shopping and the pursuit of entertainment that comes from feeling unfulfilled. Because we can look and just see like, man, those people are crazy. But when we look under the surface, we see the brokenness of humanity. It's pretty easy to see these things and even to call them out or even to be kind of snobs about it. And yet, it's also easy to see these things in our own hearts and lives. What I want us to notice is that Paul had vision for what was around him. We can learn to live this way as we go to work, as we walk here, as we do these things, as we have conversations. We can start to say, man, there's something not right there. What is being worshipped? We can notice the idols. All right, let's keep going. So Paul, he starts with vision. Secondly, Paul has compassion. That same verse says, um, it says, his spirit was provoked within him. And the word provoked actually means it aroused him to anger. He was troubled. Like, wait a minute, okay, there's anger, but where does the compassion come from? Paul was angered by all the things that he saw around him, as in like, hey, this is not right. This is not the way that it should be, but it did not lead him to outrage. It led him to love and compassion. He was troubled by what he saw. He was burdened for the people of Athens who were going through life and following and worshiping false gods. He's saying, this is not how it should be. There's something better There is Jesus who forgives and rescues and fulfills. He was troubled by what he saw. We see something similar with Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 9, and this will be on the screen. And Jesus, he's with his disciples, and Jesus, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's Paul's heart here. He was deeply moved for the people of Athens. 
He had compassion. How can we be people that live this way, that see others this way? And the answer to that is it's only through Jesus. And it comes back to the the, the weight and the beauty of the gospel in our own lives that when we understand that without Jesus, we were lost, broken, and without God, but we have been saved by the grace of God, not by our own works, not by our own goodness. When we start to understand that that's what salvation is, then how on earth could we look down on anyone? How on earth could we judge anyone and say, well, you're not deserving or, you know, I, I'm better than you because I'm a Christian. I, you no, know, that's not it. When we understand the gospel, we say, I, I did nothing to earn my salvation, but Christ did everything And it means that I was, by human standards, I was too far gone. I was too broken. I was too lost. I couldn't save myself. And it was Christ alone that rescued me out of my sin. And that's what God wants to do for any other person around us in this city. How can we look down on anyone? Instead, by God's grace, our hearts will be filled with compassion towards people to love and serve them. Instead of extending a hand to push people away, we extend a hand to show them Jesus and to pull them up and out of the brokenness of life. Oh, that's my prayer, that God would work in our hearts, that when we know his love and compassion for us, we can have love and compassion for other people. Maybe we need to pray for that in our own hearts. God, would you help me understand in a fresh way this morning the love and the compassion of God towards me so that I can live with love and compassion towards others. Because a life on mission means that we live with compassion for those around us, but it doesn't just end there, right? Vision leads to compassion, but compassion leads to action. And this is where we're going to spend the, the bulk of our um, time this morning is with this point of action. So Paul sees what he sees. He feels what he feels. Now what? Because if Paul stops right there, he's basically just kind of like someone on social media that gets really mad about something but doesn't actually do anything, right? Um, if that hits too close to home, I'm sorry. Um, but Paul, now he doesn't do that. He takes action. Look at verse 17. There's one simple little word there. The very first word in verse 17 is the word, so. That's important, right? As Paul sees these things, he recognizes these things. He could have just said, man, this place is a mess and just kept walking. But he, no, Paul says, it says, so he started to do something. What did he do? He begins to engage people to start gospel conversations. He begins telling people that there is a better way through Jesus. It says he reasoned with them in the synagogue. So there were many Jewish people around. He went to the synagogue and began to say, this is who the Messiah is. This is who Jesus is. But it also says he went to the marketplace, which basically meant he went to the place where people were, where they hung out, where they shopped, where they had conversations, where they shared ideas. And he went and shared the gospel with people there. Now, who's he talking to? We see this in verse 18. Well, basically with anyone who was there, but it also gives us two of these, these two groups, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, who were these people? The Epicureans, they were known as atheistic materialists, which means they taught that life was all about pleasure, kind of in two ways, like the pleasure of like 
very refined, like you keep your pinky out when you drink and like, oh, look at us, we are very refined, like that type of pleasure, but also the type of pleasure of just like the sensuality that just says, do whatever feels good, do whatever you want. These were the Epicureans. They lived for the moment. They were the YOLO people, whatever you want to call them, I don't know. They were here for a good time for the party, right? These are the Epicurean philosophers. Then you have the Stoics, and obviously we have this word of like, oh, he's very Stoic, right? That's, the, that's where it comes from. They were known as severe and lofty pantheists. They were serious about their studies. They were serious about the way they lived. They believed that virtue is the only good. They saw the material world as either unimportant or actually a bad thing. They're very serious-minded people. Now, these two groups exist today. People seeking pleasure, saying, I'm here for the party, and people seeking, I, need, I want to be a good, virtuous, moral person. Okay, you've got these, let's party or let's be serious, moral people. And all of us are gonna tend towards in our sinful flesh falling into one of these things. This is who Paul is preaching to here. Verse 18, it tells us, he says, they, they, Paul is preaching and they said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, right? This was foreign to them. They did not know what Paul was talking about, but God opens a door for them. They said, hey, we want to hear more. What are you saying? What are you teaching us? So they invited him. They took him to this place called the Areopagus, which was a place in Athens where serious things were discussed. Verse 21, it says, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. This was their life, right? Not to pick on social media again, but we're not that different, right? We can spend our life looking for new ideas and funny memes, right? But this is, this is how they spend their lives. But they invite Paul. They say, hey, we want to hear what you're saying. In verse 22 Paul begins preaching to them. He states as he's standing in the midst of the Areopagus, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He acknowledges, hey, you guys understand this like idea of worship even though you might understand it wrongly. In verse 23, Paul says, says, I passed along as I was walking through Athens and I observed the object of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, It said, to the unknown God. And what does Paul do? Paul builds a bridge and proclaims the gospel. He sees this idol, this altar that says to the unknown God. And Paul said, I can tell you who it is. And he proclaims Jesus to them. He proclaims the greatness of the one true God. He shows them the emptiness of idolatry. If you look to that whole segment there, Paul preaches repentance. He says, turn away from your allegiance to these idols and turn to God. In verse 18, he preaches the resurrection. He says, this is what this is about. This is about the risen Savior, Jesus, who has conquered death. And in this segment, he tells them, judgment is coming. You have to wrestle with this. And he proclaims who Jesus is. And then this passage wraps up here in verses 32 through 34. And it shows us, Paul preaches this message. He shares the gospel with them. And it shows us they respond in three different ways. Some of the people mocked him. They just made fun of him. What are you talking about? Some of them were curious. They said, we want to hear some more about this. This is interesting. But then it tells us that some of them believed and followed with him. And as, you know, as the story of the New Testament goes on, 
what that means is that now in the city of Athens, there are believers who are following Jesus, who are growing, and a church is established. They respond in three ways. So, to live a life on mission, we will engage those around us with the gospel message. I want to make this practical in three ways this morning. The first one is this. We're going to learn from Paul and how he interacted in Athens. The first thing is this. Look for open doors. In verse 19, it says, And they, they, they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? This is an open door. How can we, in our lives, find open doors with people? Well, first of all, God opens the doors. We don't. And that's a good thing because it takes the pressure off of us. So how do we do this? First of all, we trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe that the Spirit of God lives and dwells in us. And as we read God's Word and as we listen for the voice of the Spirit in our hearts, He will guide us and lead us. And when we feel prompted to speak to someone or to pray with someone, the best thing that we can do is listen and obey. And I promise there will be times when it's like, I really feel like I'm supposed to share the gospel with my friend right now. Or I really feel like I'm just supposed to talk to this person on the street. And it will feel as awkward sometimes as you can imagine. And it's really a good thing because it's not our own strength. It's not about us. It's about us saying, I can't do this, but I want to obey. And so we obey and we trust that God is at work. So we look for open doors by trusting the leading of the Spirit in our lives. Secondly, we can pay attention to what God is already doing around us. There's a, um, a, an author named Henry Blackaby, and maybe you've heard this. This quote will be on the screen. But I love this. He says, watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. How do we find open doors? We start to pay attention and say, God, where are you already at work? Maybe you have a friend or a neighbor or a coworker who's just asking a lot of questions, who's very curious. God may be at work there and say, okay, God, I don't know, but I'm gonna join you in what you are doing. We can pay attention and join what God is already doing. Another way that we can look for open doors is ask good questions and then be a good listener. Because when we truly love people, we will seek to go deeper than just talking about the weather, which is really easy to do. I don't know, maybe you're really bad at small talk. I feel like I am bad at small talk, so maybe that's not as easy. But it can be easy to be like, hey, how are you? Good, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, everything's good. Yeah, okay, it's nice today. All right, see you later. (laughs) This is pretty normal. But when we truly love people, we can say, I actually care about you. I actually want to know what's going on in your life. And so you can ask people, how's your family doing? What's going on with your kids? What's going on? You know, where are you from? Tell me about where you came from. Tell me about what, how you grew up. You can ask someone, hey, how's your marriage going? How's your relationship going? How, how's parenting life right now? Or even in just our context here, we can say, hey, how did the last... You know, we're kind of at the end of this COVID thing. How did that impact you? What was that like? How did you, what was that like going through that? And then just listen. And often when we ask good questions and we listen well, we will hear and notice when people start to kind of open up and they start to share a bit of their life. It creates an open door to say, yeah, I've been there. Can I, can I tell you who Jesus is and what he has done in my life? 
as we look for open doors, sometimes we can think about this idea of sharing the gospel as like, yeah, I really should do that. I need to, yeah, I need to make some time and do that. And, and maybe that's the case sometimes. Maybe it's a kind of a, a spiritual discipline and practice that we need to do. But most of the time, it should be something that's intersection in our life, meaning this. It's intersection, not addition. It's not something that we have to think, yeah, I need to go do that. I need to make time for that. But rather we say, as I go through my life, that we can start to see open doors when we allow the normal, everyday intersections of our life to be opportunities to show and share the love of Jesus. When we go to the grocery store or the dip, when we're at sports practices, when we're taking out the trash and we see a neighbor, whatever it is, we're just living our life and interacting with people and trusting that God's going to open doors. And when we listen and pay attention, we will see open doors. And when we see an open door, we can engage people with the gospel message. And again, why? Because the gospel has changed us. We're not trying to trick people. We're not trying to be like, I, I mean, I, I knew I, I, the, there's the joke that says like, you know, in the summer, man, it's, you can say, man, your friend can say, it's really hot today. And you can say, well, it's hot in hell as well. Let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, well, that's not what we're talking about, right? That is, people see through that. Like, that's not what we're trying to do. But as we love people and listen to what's going on in their lives, we can trust that God's going to be opening doors. So, second point, though, to make this practical. We see how Paul had an open door, but then secondly, engage people with the gospel. In our passage, Paul noticed what was around him and engaged people with the gospel in ways that connected with them. Verse 22 through 31, what's happening is Paul's preaching, but really what I want us to see is that Paul notices a cultural gospel analogy. You can call this a redemptive analogy. There was something happening in their culture, and Paul said, you know what? That was not built so they could hear about Jesus, but I'm gonna use that to tell them about Jesus, right? So Paul saw that they had this idol to an unknown God, and he said, hey, I can tell you who the God is. It's the creator God, the one true God. That's not why that thing was built, and yet it became an opportunity of a bridge to engage people with the gospel. I love to see this as well. In verse 28, there's two quotes. And if you see maybe in your Bible, it's in different like font typesetting. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And then it says, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. What's happening there? These were quotes from their culture. These were poets and people and writers. And I think that's such an important thing for us to notice as we live our lives and engage people with the gospel. Essentially, Paul uses pop culture <laughs> to communicate the gospel. These things became bridges and gospel connections. And so, maybe you love watching movies. We all do. I mean, that's a dumb question, right? <laughs> you love movies. We love music. We love good stories. We all, many of us experience parenting or sports and all these things. And when we listen, we can engage people with the gospel we can even say, hey, you know how in that one Marvel movie there was the good guy and the bad guy and then there was this 20-minute battle and I didn't know what was going on, but then in the end, the good guy won, right? We can use these things to point to the message of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. They weren't made for that, but we can redeem these things. And we notice these analogies that can be redeemed and pointed towards the gospel. Often God will open a door for us to engage others with the gospel. As we engage people, I think there's a couple major ways we can do that. Ultimately, we want to share the story of who Jesus is. That God created everything, and yet humans rebelled and sinned against God. 
And because of our sin, we deserve judgment. We have no way to get back to God. But God in his grace sent Jesus. And he lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose again. And through his grace, we can surrender to him in faith and turn away from our sin. And he forgives us and brings us into the kingdom of God and forgives our sin. And so we share the gospel story. We can also share our own story and say, hey, let me tell you what happened in me. I was broken. I was rebellious against God. But I surrendered and God loved me and my life is different now because of Jesus. And so as we engage other people with the gospel, we can share the message of Jesus so we can share how Christ has changed us. We look for open doors. We engage people with the gospel. And then finally, this is maybe feels less practical, but I think it's very practical. It's this. We trust God with the results. We saw this in verses 32 through 34, that when we share the good news of Jesus, the results are not up to us. We can trust that God is at work drawing people to himself, right? You could look and say, well, Paul, you were like 33% successful because some people mocked you, some people had questions, and a few people followed you, followed Jesus and believed. But it wasn't up to Paul. He simply stepped up and said, let me share who Jesus is God does the work of drawing people to himself. The message of the gospel is good news, and when it's shared boldly, we can trust that God will be at work. Now, there is a reality of that. Some people mocked him, and we can often say, gosh, I don't want to be mocked. I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want people to think I'm weird and never talk to me again. And there's really no way around that except knowing that Christ is what satisfies our hearts. He is what we need above all other things, above every other relationship. And we can say, okay, God, I trust you. And I trust that you are at work. To live a life on mission, we will engage those around us with the gospel message. The reality is, for many of us, the idea of sharing the gospel, or to use a different word, evangelism, right, can bring up all kinds of thoughts and emotions. It can bring up fear, shame. It can bring up disgust, like, oh, why would someone do that? It could think, oh, this is just Christians being manipulative. It can, you can say, that's just annoying. Or it could bring up pride and be like, I don't need to hear this. I'm pretty good at this. There are countless situations where people and churches have gone about it in a wrong way. Maybe you've experienced this, this, or maybe you yourself have done it poorly. I know that I have. And there's plenty of bad examples. But I believe that what we're talking about this morning is something different. It's not a program. It's not a checklist. It's not a cheesy, underhanded way to try to convince people to follow Jesus. So what I want us to walk away with today is once again the the reminder that when the gospel sinks into our hearts, that we can't help but to share the good news of how Jesus sets us free, gives us new life, and makes us right with God. So maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've heard this message this morning of our sin, our rebellion, and yet, the love of God towards us, that he sent Jesus. And the the crucifixion, the cross, is Jesus dying on the cross and taking our place, taking the judgment that we deserve upon himself. 
And Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death. And we believe and proclaim the word of God to be true, that there is no other way to get to God. You cannot get to God by being a good person. You cannot get to God by just hoping everything works out. You cannot get to God any other way but through Jesus. And if that seems narrow, it is narrow. And yet the truth is we actually don't deserve any way at all. It is the grace of God that has said, I've made a way. And it is free to all who will surrender and put their faith in me. Because the only thing, our response, the thing that we do is a response saying, okay, my hands are empty. I've got nothing to bring, but I put my faith in Jesus and him alone that he rescues me. And it is good news this morning. It means that we can experience relationship with God, that we no longer are under judgment because of our sin, but Christ has taken that upon himself. It means that we have the hope of eternity, that our sin can be forgiven. And so here this morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you have to wrestle with this and say, what do I do with this? But know this, that God loves you. He is welcoming you. He is inviting you to himself. He is inviting you to say, I surrender, and I put my faith in Jesus. And the invitation is these big fancy words, repent and believe, which means to say, I'm turning away from my life, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus. For those of us in the room this morning that are followers of Jesus, the reminder is this, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself, I, I did nothing to earn God's love. I did nothing. I brought nothing to the table, and yet God has loved me and rescued me. And what that does is it brings us up to a place to say, I live with freedom. I live with courage. I live with humility because of what Christ has done in me. That we would preach the gospel to ourselves, be captivated with Jesus and let that overflow to the people around us. As we begin to close, um, Annabelle's going to come and begin playing. We're going to close in a time of worship this morning, of remembering who Jesus is. And my encouragement is, as we kind of say, how can I take action on this this morning? If you'd like to pray with someone, if God is working in your heart and you'd say, I, I want to know more, I want to put my faith in Jesus, we would love to talk with you after the service. Maybe you need to begin to pray that God would give you a heart of love for those around you and allow you to notice and see the ways that he is at work. If you have questions or spiritual questions or if you just need to pray with someone, we would love to do that this morning. But my prayer, church, is that we would be a people living on mission, that it's an overflow of what Christ has done in our hearts. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.